all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is all bad things. Welcome everybody. Welcome. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com, Twitter, Facebook, discussion group, right in our Discord. Do all of those things. <laughs> Do you mind turning off that light? Not at all. <laughs> Thank you. It's very bright. <laughs> Don't know why I turned it on. It would have gotten warm. I think I turned it off the last time. Because it, it got really warm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, why am I burning? Like, oh, because I'm sitting right under a light bulb. Yeah. Um, this will be the not fun at all part no so i'm no no no. i will not be surprised if we have a serious decline in listens compared to the first episode yeah that kind of usually happens anyway (laughs) with Mm multi-parters yeah because i think most people know the ending or look it up for themselves or i I guess yeah i'm not sure i would recommend the uh i think i mentioned it last time the um what happened to cbc podcast Mm -hmm. is cbc no. Canadian Broadcasting Corporation? No, it's... Hold on. Global News. Oh. Global I'm, News with I'm Erica not, Vella. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear, like, first-hand accounts hmm. uh, of the disaster itself. Because, I mean, it was only nine years nine ago. Years just ago. about nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <sighs> so, we <sighs> well, we had the... Uh... <laughs> "Quote unquote fun." Yes, <laughs> it was first... a lot more fun to talk about the deregulation of the Canadian rail industry <laughs> and the absolute prediction of the tragedies that would would ensue. Exactly, and right on time. Yes, lo and behold. Yeah, you know, as as uh, as Chris Rock once said, "That train's never late." Mm. <laughs> as a double he was he was uh, he, he was referring to racism in that in oh, that sense. Gotcha. But... Gotcha. Um, so do you remember what I called part one of this? I don't. What did you call it? Let it ride. Oh, okay. Oh, the song. Oh, ride, ride, mm-hmm. ride, let it ride. So this one. <laughs> That's the most fun we're going to have today. <laughs> well, we can have a, a little bit more fun. Okay. Uh, what do you think I called? What's a train song you can think of that maybe my band does? <sighs> I don't know. Get around the corner, half a mile from here. See them long trains run, and you watch them disappear without love. Oh, I, I've never paid attention to the, to the lyrics of that song. It's called Long Train Running. Oh, okay. The song is, the... it never says Long Train Running. It okay. says, well, the pistons keep on turning, and the wheels go round and round, and the steel rails run cold and hard on the mountains they go down. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's one of those weird songs that I know I could play it because I know how the music goes, but I couldn't tell you like the lyrics of the song. <laughs> I can because I'm the one who sings it in <laughs> <Yes>. my band. <laughs> so I wouldn't be that annoying drummer for that song singing the lyrics because I'd have no clue, or like mouthing them because uh-huh. I'd have no clue what they are. <laughs> that 
That was one of the hardest songs to learn how to play bass and sing on because the bass part goes boom. There's a lot of uh, a lot of movement. So it's got this one rhythm. So I have to go gather around the corner. So I'm like, I have my brain has to split in half and do each thing. So anyway, that's the most fun we're going to have today. (laughs) So, uh, well, let me do the intro. Sure. Uh, So, in the early morning hours of Saturday, July 6th, 2013, a 72-car freight train accidentally derailed and barreled, unstopped, into the town town center of Lac-Megantic, Quebec, immediately killing 47 people and destroying over 30 buildings. No one was reported as injured. Everyone in the path of the train had been killed outright. Mm. I, I cited the sources last week. Let me, I think I had a couple. The Frontier Center for Public Policy. Oh, that may have, I may have mentioned that one. Um, Popular Mechanics, I think is a new one. And the Transportation Safety Board of Canada. So, so <clears throat> let's recap, shall we? Yes, we shall. We talked a lot about the rail system in Canada and how it was deregulated Uh, Into the 90s and beyond, that led to a lot of corner cutting, including reducing rail crews from two to one, using a remote control rail car in lieu of a second engineer. Up to this point, there had been multiple derailment issues, most of which had caused environmental problems, but few deaths. Near the end of June 2013, a Montreal, Maine and Atlantic Railway Limited, or MMA, which is what we'll call them, a uh, train headed from the oil fields of Newtown, North Dakota for St. John, New Brunswick, and it was carrying 7.7 million liters of crude oil in 72 oil tanker cars. And now we're on the evening of Friday, July 5th. It is headed from Farnham, Quebec to Lac-Megantic near the main border, driven by a single engineer, Tom Harding Jr., a conscientious and experienced railman. Hmm. So, what is your thoughts on what caused the derailment i would think one of the main problems would be there's just one person okay mm-hmm. that's a serious problem yeah you have in a situation mm-hmm. like that you have to have a second set of eyes for all sorts of different reasons i agree mm-hmm. yeah you know, if something happens <laughs> to one of the tr- you know one of the trains in the back like if there's a problem somebody's got to go fix it real quick somebody can still be on mm-hmm. on their post and making sure the train gets i mean it's it's like as soon as we talked about that last right. week i'm like i knew that that was coming right and like how just i mean like how, how negligent did think that was a good idea exactly yeah. mm-hmm. yes aside from say trying to save money yeah and that's exactly. why and that's why they thought it was a good idea that's correct. Like, hey, that's going to save us because I'm not sure what a salary for one of these people. But just right. for simple math, mm-hmm. let's just say $50,000. Right. That's uh-huh. going to save us $50,000. Times however many routes they run. Yeah. You know, they'll, ha- they'll have H-A-L-V-E. Yeah. V-E. Yeah, yes. something. Uh, <laughs> their salary cost. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, unfortunately. So, the me- the mechanics of how this happened are actually pretty interesting, and I, hopefully I understand it enough to be able to um, explain it. Again, shout out to Kat and Donovan. They're, um, like I said, this uh, script was a collaborative effort mm-hmm. between the three of us. Yes, thank you very much again. Yes. <clears throat> so, Tom Harding was making his way east from uh, Farnham, 
to Lac-Megantic. And as he was doing that, the village of Lac-Megantic was starting the weekend. Remember, this is like a Friday evening under a beautiful sunny sky. It was apparently a beautiful day. The heart and soul of the downtown was Moussi Cafe, a beloved establishment known for good food, live music, and more than 60 beers, handpicked by owner Yannick Gagné. It was frequented by tourists and locals alike, and the terrace was filled with patrons enjoying the sun- sunshine. Being early July, it was a rare warm day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're talking pretty far north, right? The Great mm-hmm. White North. Moussi Cafe server Karim Blanchette would later say, quote, it was the perfect day, end quote. Families were out enjoying the day as well. Pascal Charest, and we'll get back to him, was enjoying the afternoon on the shores of Lac Megantic with his longtime partner Talitha and their two daughters, Bianca, who was nine, and Alyssa, who was four. It was the first nice hot day of the summer, and the girls were enjoying building sandcastles while their parents, who had been separated for some time, were now working on reconciling. As the sun began to set, lead engine number 5017 continued chugging along its way to a hilltop in nearby Nantes, which is uh, N-A-N-T-E-S, while the Moussi Cafe began to fill up with Friday night patrons. Musicians Yvonne Ricard and Guy Bolduc were playing their third set of the week to much fanfare. A birthday party was in full swing, spirits were high, and the bar and dance floor were packed. At 11 p.m. local time, Tom Harding pulled into the station at Nantes and stopped the train on the main line. So we talked about how he was very used to his route, which went from Farnham to uh, Lac Megantic. And so his part of the route was over and the crew change would take place now. Uh, So typically, so I said he stopped the train on the main line. Typically, that's not what they would do. There was a side rail, like Mm -hmm. a pullover sort of. Sure. That they would usually use to park. Um, But he didn't because uh, there was empty box cars on the side rail. In other words, it was blocked essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, from, so he couldn't. Right. From Lac Mechantic particle board manufacturer Tafisa. So it's highly unusual to park on a main line, but it's actually not explicitly against any rules. So he was not breaking any rules by doing that. Okay. It was just unusual to mm-hmm. do so. But again, there was a reason for it. Just bad timing. Well, yeah, as we'll find out. So... He shut down, there were, so there were five engine cars. He shut down four of them, but kept the engines of one running, probably the head locomotive, but I'm honestly not sure, um, because that would keep air pressure going to enable the train's air brakes. And here is where Rachel spent an hour trying to understand air brakes. Are we ready? Air brakes on a train? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and because, in general, the yes, the, sure. the, me- the mechanics, mechanics work similarly. Sure. So, do you know? <laughs> I started with how, because the like I started with popular mechanics and ELI five, right? <laughs> and because first I started with popular mechanics and I didn't understand it, so I had to go to ELI five. That helped anyway. Um, <laughs> so, do you know how car brakes work? I mean, to a degree, yeah, but I'm not going to explain it. Okay. Just, so just my understanding, I, just in case I totally fumble it. That's fair. <laughs> this is my understanding because all the explanations started with like, oh, so you know how car brakes work. So 
It is my understanding after reading about this, that the way car brakes work, and we have people who work in cars. Yes, we do. Who listen, so I'm sure they will elaborate. Um, James, locally, here in Raleigh, certainly works with cars, and I'm sure he'll have yes, plenty we, to say. Yes, who we have to make a makeup date we with. We do, because we were going to meet up. Yes. Yeah. We were going to yeah, meet hit up, us and up James. then I got COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so we couldn't meet up. Yes. Um, so what happened... But, and I guess I should say anyone in Raleigh who wants to. We are we are open to that. So yeah, um brakes, right? Car brakes. <laughs> so when you press on the brake of a car, it takes that pressure, that that force that you're exerting, and pressurizes brake fluid. Okay. And the brake fluid when pressurized um, hold on, now I'm going off script. <laughs> All right. When you push your foot down on the brake pedal of a car, it compresses or pressurizes brake fluid. So it, it creates pressure within the brake fluid, which forces calipers to squeeze brake pads onto the rotor of the wheel. And and if you've ever seen the brake pads on your car, like it's, and most, they're like little pads. Most that, of us have... Uh heard them when they need to be fixed yes they start scraping uh-huh absolutely and still right around anyway mm-hmm. well i think the idea so is they bad. start they start making that noise before it's actually a major problem but yes. you, it, it is an indicator you need yeah. to get them you should fixed. get it fixed yeah. right away but mm-hmm. yeah. replaced get I was, the pads i was 24 replaced. once and like <laughs> did I, it hurt the rotor did it end up oh, grinding this, into the rotor this was an old truck <clears throat> okay so i was kind of almost trying to kill it <laughs> So, but it's the brake fluid that is doing that. It's not like... Um, makes sense. Well, it is a mechanical thing. Sure. But the conduit is the brake fluid. Correct. Being it's pressurized. A, it's a mechanical thing alongside of a... There has to be something that can create that energy for that... To right. make that pressure. Right. To and make everything... Because, I mean, especially you got to think how fast you're going sometimes. If you're yeah. going like mm-hmm. 70, 80 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. All the things that have to happen to, to like make slam you on your to slow down uh-huh. or to stop mm-hmm. you know so uh it's crazy yes <laughs> i don't know who thought of yeah, it yeah science right um so trains or at least this train or tra- trains in general now um brake fluid doesn't do this can you imagine the amount of fluid you would need for a giant uh, yeah, train I, yeah. they use pressurized air to okay. do it so yeah. air serves that same purpose. So way, way back, because this air pressure system was created like just post-Civil War, which we'll talk about in a second. So even way before that, there was a really dangerous and terrible system to stop a train. Um, there were people called brakemen <laughs> who would, there'd be the train whistle and that would indicate, hey, pull hey, up on your handbrake. But sometimes brakemen were responsible for all or some of the car multiple cars they'd have to run on the top of the train or through the train to quickly engage all the brakes it was a terrible system very dangerous especially for the brakemen so there were a lot of issues with trains back then i am sure there are (laughs) again if we wanted to just revolve this podcast around a specific episode of train crashes right (laughs) we would have thousands of episodes i'm guessing right just that one topic yeah uh-huh. well cornfield meat their whole yeah, that's, podcast there you go is just right there disasters. Yes. exactly yeah. it's an endless supply of, mm-hmm. because those are stupid things that people thought of <laughs> well 
they worked in loose quotation until marks. they didn't yeah mm-hmm. until they were terribly dangerous yes so in 1869 george westinghouse of westinghouse of the westinghouse yes <laughs> patented the brake system that is still used in trains today so he saw how dangerous braking in a train car was and remedied it so his design had each locomotive and each individual car had an air reservoir, a tank of air, or, or a tank that could contain air. Um, and then they were interconnected with each other through pipes. Okay. All right. Sure. So when the brake system is activated from the locomotive, each car's air reservoir releases air at a specific rate, causing the brakes to engage. Makes sense. So it's air pressure. Mm-hmm. When the brake system is not activated, the air is not putting that pressure on the brakes and releases them and allows each tank to refill with air. So that's the other thing about air is as long as there's a mechanism to pressurize it, you don't have to refill it as such. You know, you have to put brake fluid in your car. Mm -hmm. Air can come from anywhere, you know, well, from the atmosphere. So you have to be able to store it. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, but as a fail-safe measure, things kind of run in the inverse of a car's brake. So for a car, like if you've got an automatic, it's always moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. You have to apply the brakes to stop it. If you have a manual, it's oh, it's essentially a neutral unless you're engaging it either to drive Correct. or reverse mm-hmm. or, or um, brake. But in trains, it's the other way around. So brakes are the natural state. For the brakes to be applied as the natural state, they have to be deliberately unapplied. Okay. So, uh, that's interesting. Um, let me see. I think I explained. Yeah, so the engineer has to specifically disconnect the air tank, which disconnects the brakes, by pumping air into a different line called the brake line. That switches a valve that separates the air from the brakes, disengaging the brakes, Once that separate brake line stops delivering pressure, the valve switches back automatically, re-engaging the brakes. So that's the fail-safe, right? Is that you don't... It's it's natural for it to be in a stopped state, not Mm. in a state of forward motion. Mm -hmm. So That's very very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Um, And the reason that that is, is like, let's say that, that there's an air leak or something mm. and it's losing pressure uh, and that will actually result in braking not in Correct. disengagement of brakes right. so Correct. so yeah. that's that's the fail safe yeah so well done george westinghouse that was a good system that was, that was good that was good shit man way yeah to, way to go <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a smart motherfucker that's right the metric system what's that that's from uh, pulp fiction oh <laughs> So now back to Tom Harding in Nun. So this poor fucking guy. I can. I know. I know. I'm so, already foreseeing what's gonna fucking become of this guy, mm, and I'm pretty sure I'll be right. Well, so he part. Well, he stopped the train. Right. He braked. He kept one engine on, which kept the air pressure going to the air brakes, keeping them engaged. So they were. It the the train was stopped. Mm-hmm. The default state of the train. Um. But in addition to that, when he climbed down from the locomotive, he began spinning the iron brake wheels, the hand brakes, along individual cars 
that would engage the train's manual brakes. So each car had a manual brake, too. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as another failsafe. Yeah. Yes. Really? Uh-huh. So he ended up engaging the manual brakes on all five engines... The remote control car that I mentioned, you know, that was like essentially taking the place of the second engineer and a buffer car. Now, I, for, I failed to mention the buffer car. Donovan had mentioned it in, in the script and I had failed to mention it last week, I think. But a buffer car is like a car put on a train to go between an engine, a locomotive mm-hmm. and any hazardous material. Makes so sense. So uh, uh, reducing the risk of combustion. So And reducing the rate of exposure, too. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, that's true. That probably, yeah. So this was carrying crude oil, right? So obviously that's a hazardous material, so there was a buffer car. (laughs) (laughs) They're not fans. They're not fans of buffer cars. Um, Yes, I know, Demetrius. We're getting close to their (laughs) their dinner time. Um, So... Uh, Tom Harding had engaged the brakes on all of the engines, all of the cars that provided motion, Mm -hmm. plus the remote control car, plus the buffer car, but not the tankers, right? So, Hmm. SOP for Canadian Railways is when a train is parked, you're just supposed to engage enough handbrakes to keep the car from moving. Okay. And the way you can tell if you've done that is by performing a test. You pull all the handbrakes, you get back in the locomotive and try Let's and move see if it. It's, yeah. yep. If it doesn't budge, you're fine. So if the train moves, then you need to engage more handbrakes, obviously, right? Because it, it, the idea is it's not going to budge. So um, so if, if you can move it, that's a problem. If you can't, great. Everything's fine. Everything's engaged. Now, what is enough in terms of number of handbrakes um and that depends on who you ask and on as they say in my line of work the facts and circumstances of Mm -hmm. the case speaking of facts and circumstances should we just go ahead and uh feed these monsters take a a little break (laughs) we'll be right back yes and we're back. Yeah. <laughs> so through the, the magic of editing, yes. the limited editing we actually do. So I was saying, uh, what is enough breaks, right? So MMA, the rail line, would later say their policy for a train of the length that Harding was driving, this 72 car, uh, plus all the other cars, was dri- uh, that he was driving was handbrakes had to be activated on five locomotives, which was all the locomotives, and 11 of the freight cars. Hmm. Um, That would actually prove to be a lie. Their actual policy at the time was nine total brakes on a train with 70 to 79 cars. Uh, And handbrakes were a point of contention for MMA. As you may recall in the last episode, I mentioned the railway had been reprimanded multiple times for safety violations. Mm-hmm. Those safety violations were specifically issues about handbrakes on park trains in Nantes alone. <laughs> and they were like, you know what we're going to do about those safety issues? We're going to have, we're going to, no, they're going to like, no, they did something. They're like, mm-hmm. we're going to have one less person operating the train. Right. No, that, that was after that yeah, well, had happened, yeah. but still. Um, In the spirit of the thing. (laughs) Yes. But the thing was, because, remember, during the deregulation, the whole point was that it was up to railways to decide what was safe. 
Correct. So even though they got essentially a reprimand, there were no, there was no teeth behind it, no fines, nothing. So they didn't change a thing. Of course not. Why would they? Yeah. When, like, they got pointed at, you <laughs> yeah. know, wagged a finger at, and they that's didn't, it. They didn't get a bronze star on their last report card. Right. They're like, we are so heartbroken that we are going to change nothing. Right. So by Harding's own recollection and testimony, he had engaged the seven aforementioned handbrakes. So that was less than both the recommendation and what apparently MMA's policy was. Um, he did perform the required brake test. He got into the the lead locomotive, tried to move the train, would not move. So he did perform that. Problem is, when you do that, you're not supposed to have the air brakes engaged. Oh. He had the air brakes engaged. Now, when he left the locomotive, hmm. it remained on. Hmm. So the idea was, at least in his mind... This train was going to stay on and the air brakes were going to stay on. So even if that wasn't the right way to do it, it's like, well, if it's not going to get turned off, what does it matter? Sort of. You know, that that kind of makes sense in, in some way. And remember, this guy was not known to be, like, he was known to be a good railman, like, mm-hmm. with a lot of experience and conscientious and, like, n- nobody had a bad thing to say about him. So it seems that there was like a logic behind what he did. And at least to me, the logic would seem like, hey, a crew's going to get up here in just uh, just a little bit. So I'm just going to leave it on with the air brakes on. Air brakes on, hand brakes on, this thing isn't moving. Like That would be my thought of what he was. Sure. He was thinking so, and I actually should have looked a little bit more into sort of like the what he said after the fact. As, as I recall, he kind of didn't say much because... He just sort of delved into obscurity, which is probably what you need yes. to do after something like yes. this happens. So anyway, um, but something that was happening um, was that he noticed that throughout his journey from Farnham to Lac-Megantic, and even while the locomotive was parked at, uh, or sorry, not, and I even asked the... Uh, locomotive was parked at Nant was that black smoke was sort of spewing from the smokestack, like unusually so, and bits of oil, like to the point where it was witnessed that he had oil on him Mm -hmm. from this. And he's like, okay, that's not normal. So he called Farnham. He's like, okay, look, the train is parked, but he also called rail traffic control, which is a thing, in Bangor, Maine, and was like, hey, I've been having mechanical trouble with this thing and it's now spewing black smoke so like i think there's an issue they told him leave the engine running leave the air brakes on we'll deal with it in the morning okay so it seems like something you want to deal with like maybe right away right away yeah like it's not exactly it doesn't look great (laughs) well i mean it it, i mean it could be and it could be all sorts of things Mm -hmm. it could Mm -hmm. be something small Right. In that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. But if you wait until the morning... Will like, it still be a small thing? Yeah. Probably not. Oh, well, we're so you, find you, out, you might we? want to stamp something like that out immediately. Yeah. Like if I was... If if I was in my workspace and mm-hmm. I saw smoke... Right. I wouldn't be like, well... Now, smoke in your workspace would be a whole lot less common than smoke coming from a locomotive. Absolutely. There is that. That is true. So it's just... A, it's an unusual amount and color of smoke mm-hmm. 
So Tom Herning was like, okay. So he called a cab to take him to Loberge, his hotel in Lac Megantic, which is about 11 kilometers or seven miles away. The cab driver would later say, um, yeah, he was kind of covered in oil, and I saw the smoke and sparks, too, coming from the local. So he just left the train parked? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, and on. Okay. And the air brakes engaged, and all the handbrakes that he had set. Mm-hmm. So he takes off for Lac Megantic, uh, but the lead locomotive was in more and more distress as time went on. At 11.50 p.m., the Nantes Fire Department received a 911 call that the lead engine, 5017, was now visibly on fire, on actual fire. Hmm. So they dispatch uh, firefighters. Upon arriving at the scene, Fire Chief Patrick Lambert followed protocol and shut down the engine to stop fuel from circulating in the fire, right? Like, we don't need gas going to this thing. We don't need fuel going to this thing. And the fire department was able to put out the fire. They told the yard master, okay, the train's now safe again. Like, you you can access it or whatever. The fire department also notified MMA's rail traffic controller, who, instead of contacting Tom Harding, who's still in the area, right? And this is 2013. He's got a cell phone, I would certainly imagine. They sent several track maintenance workers to the site who were unfamiliar with air brakes. Hmm. They were like, oh, you know what? Because that's who you want showing up. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the pros. Yeah, the people who don't yeah. understand the or, air brakes. Or the guys that like, <laughs> like you know, it, was, it might as well have just been a job that was in the newspaper and it's like... Like, did you hear about, did you hear about the job that Bobby got? Right. <laughs> like, he investigates trains now. Right. <laughs> Does he know what to do? I, I'm not, I don't know. Probably not. So they looked at the train, they're like, you know what? Looks good. And they left. No big deal. Like, it only caught on fire. But. <laughs> it's, it's all good. But the train was off now completely, right? So that means the air brakes were completely off. Mm-hmm. So now the circumstances under which this train had been tested and deemed to be stationary had changed drastically. Mm-hmm. Now there were no air brakes engaged. Mm-mm. It was just the handbrakes. So now the air brakes had already air in the reservoir, right? Mm-hmm. So it took some time for the air brakes to lose that air. You, time meaning like, you mean like overnight? No. Um, only about an hour. Oh, okay. So, so really quickly then. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so Nantes is located, like I said, about 11 kilometers or seven miles from Lac Megantic. It is located uphill okay. from Lac Megantic at a grade of about 1.2%. Mm. So as the air brakes disengaged just before 1 a.m., the train began to slowly roll its way down the hill into Lac Megantic gathering, as physics works, tremendous speed as it went. Firefighter Jean-Luc Montmini was on his way home from the engine fire in Nantes. So he was headed home after the fire, and he pulled his truck up to a rail crossing. The lights were flashing, you know, the arms were coming down. and But he's, like, looking one way, looking the other, like, I don't hear a horn. You know, the hoo of the... <laughs> that's my... <laughs> that's my impression. That's, I don't know why that, I felt that was necessary. That is the most fun moment we'll have. Right I bef- know. Right before everything is about to go to shit. 
So, and he didn't see any headlights. Like, trains have headlights. Of course. And he's like, I don't what see, the, like, what, is this malfunctioning? Mm. You know, like, what's going on? Is everything on the rail system malfunctioning? So he's like, okay, I think this is a malfunction. So he, like, carefully crosses the tracks. Literally no sooner had this man gotten across the tracks than, uh, this is how um, Cap put it, the train suddenly emerged like a specter out of the dark barreling past in complete silence can you imagine how frightening that would be no lights no just the only sound is the it reminds me of a scene the movie overall wasn't that great it had some Mm -hmm. good special effects but the story came apart at the end but the the steven spielberg war of the worlds okay with uh, sir tom cruise (laughs) and sir tim robbins maverick Oh, Maverick, Maverick and uh, whatever Tim Robbins' name was. Oh, the, he was... Uh, what was he? Jester? No, 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 no. Merlin? I think he was Merlin. Merlin. Yeah, Merlin. Maverick and Merlin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he was in there for a little bit. He had a couple of lines. Mm. <laughs> we all forgot. <laughs> but um, there is this one scene where... Because they're one of the only people that have a car. Like, okay. Throughout mm-hmm. the... Because there's all these electrical things because... Okay. Anyway. <clears throat> but they arrive at a at a railroad crossing. Uh-huh. Then goes down and they're they're looking they're like where's the train? What? Like where's the And almost the same thing, he mm-hmm. like gets out and starts to go towards and all of a sudden it screeches past but like every car is like on fire. Oh jeez. Like, and it's just it's creepy as creepy, fuck. Creepy. Yeah, like a jump scare moment. Yeah. yeah and mm-hmm. it's that's not the case with this. We're talking mm-hmm. about in that scene, passenger cars were like, on, so yeah. obviously nobody's alive. <laughs> right. But it's mm-hmm. just, it's it's meant to be creepy as hell. Right. Success. Mm-hmm. That's, it sounded like, like I would, you would just shit your pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately, Jean-Luc, I mean, he's, he's a firefighter, so he's kind of used to emergency situations. He immediately, True. yeah, he immediately put two and two together. He's like, that's, that's the fucking train. Yep. That's that train. Called 911 immediately. So at least there Get was like, out. he's like, there's a fucking runaway train and it's headed somewhere and help. Yeah. <laughs> at 1.14 a.m., Julie Hion and Luc Dion were on the patio of Musi Cafe finishing up an unplanned date night. The couple were outside the cafe, lost in each other's company, when the ground began to shake, and a lot of people said apparently they thought it was an earthquake initially. Sure. And the bells on the nearby crossing began to sound. In the glow of the flashing red lights, they, along with other witnesses, caught a blur of movement before registering the horror of what they were witnessing. The train was speeding towards them at around 65 miles per hour. Holy shit. It ended up being um, about I th- 63 of the tanker cars had derailed. derailed. So, uh-huh. Um, wheel smoking and heading towards a curve in the train. So at 1.14 a.m., the engine hit the curve and the train violently derailed. 63 of the tanker cars burst apart and about 6 million liters or 1.6 million gallons of crude oil spilled out into the streets and ignited. Oh, my God. Multiple fireballs, three times the height of the buildings downtown exploded and the heat from the blaze could be felt up to two kilometers or over a mile away. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. This is 2013. Because people of, had their cell phones Jesus out. Jesus fucking Christ. 
That looks like a goddamn, like, uh, like a set photo. Yes. If you watch it, like, these are people just on a, like, a residential You've street, right? you fucking kidding it me. Is, it looks like they're being bombed. Yeah. And probably a probably bunch of people feels thought like that it. was what yeah. was going like, on it, Oh, the nuclear you know? war yeah, is finally, right? World War Three is finally. It's Lac Magantic, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, remember, because, this is a town of 6,000 people. This is a small town. And also, because of the trains, because they're made of, you know, metal and other mm-hmm. things like as soon as they detach and collide with something sparks are gonna fly yes, everywhere which is why it which is fire. why all the fucking oil is gonna holy fucking yep. shit the blast was heard in montreal and i'm sure it knocked everybody on their ass yes but remember how far away montreal was oh from yeah this place? it was about th- uh, two and a half three, three hour, hour drive something like that. yeah they could hear it in montreal i fucking christ some patrons of the and employees of the Moosey Cafe hid inside the building, hoping it would offer some shelter. Others attempted to run for their lives. In the end, the wall of fire was too fast to outrun and too violent to take shelter from. Some people jumped from third-story windows to try to escape the fire. For those in the heart of downtown, there was no correct choice for survival. There was only people who were lucky and people who yeah, weren't. It's straight fucking chaos. And the people, like, they they have um, in, like, some, doc, like, documentary footage I saw on YouTube and in the um, What Happened To podcast, they talk to witnesses. And I'm just like, they must be as traumatized as, like, soldiers because what they're witnessing is, like, like war conditions. being bombed. Yeah. yeah essentially. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much what they had to witness and in some cases, like, say you're meeting friends at, you know, Moosey Cafe or whatever, and then it's like, oh, okay, well, we're going to hit the road. We'll see you guys later. Because it's, you a, it's leave. a Friday night. Yeah, and it's like 1 a.m. That's when some people are going to start to... A couple days after Canada Day, eh? <laughs> right? Yes, so it pe- is. Some people are still partying. It is. So, you know, some people are, okay, guys, see you later. Walk out of the cafe and then see the cafe decimated behind you and know that your friends are dead now. Like, can you or you're, or you're just, just hoping that somehow they weren't there. Or f- I right. Mean, mm-hmm. All sorts that of things. That they left, yeah. Yeah. Or you're just not able to think because of how... Plus, you're standing, like, feet away from this huge fire. So, go ahead. I just wanted to make sure it was at a... That's okay. A, <laughs> I understand. So, footage recorded by residents of Lac Megantic show an apocalyptic and otherworldly <laughs> scene. Yep. Yeah. Possibly the most heartbreaking aspect of these videos are the notes of disbelief and horror in people's voices as they narrate the event over the sounds of sirens and explosions. And the, I, th- I think the thing that makes the horror come to life is it happened in 2013. Mm-hmm. We're not everybody had a smartphone, but yeah. most people yes. did. Uh-huh. There was lots of people used their cell phone to mm-hmm, and, record it. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if this had happened in 2022, how much more sophisticated oh, yeah. smartphones mm-hmm. are and as far as uh, video and pictures. Right, yeah, the footage, you can tell it's a little, it's almost You can tell it's coming from a, yeah. a 2013 yes. you know, uh-huh. smartphone. But still, it's, but it's still certainly I'm never, vivid enough. I'm never going to watch any of it. Yeah, I can it's, fucking it's tell you that. Bad. As the disaster unfolded, Burning crude oil ran through the streets and down into the lake and the Chaudière River. Along the way, it oozed into the sewer system, causing, get this, explosive columns of flames to erupt out of manholes and storm drains. So literally... Like it's fucking Ghostbusters or... Yes. Or... Yes. Or the fucking, uh, the blob. 
Like yes. it's mm-hmm. what that the is fuck? exactly right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So even if you're like not right there, like shit's going on all like, around Holy you. Fuck! Did that manhole cover just explode yeah. off? And there's a column of fire. Like your immediate out? instinct has got to be like, I have to get as far away from here. Like run the fuck away as possible. Uh huh. Yeah. Whether it's on foot yeah. or in a mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah the Jesus. the the ensuing fire instantly decimated four houses. One man at the scene said, "Quote: It looked like a war zone." Yeah, unquote. Mm-hmm. yeah, I bet it did. Two thousand people ended up having to evacuate their homes. That's a third of the population. Of the I'm surprised town. it wasn't everybody. Right? It's just well, like everybody get it out. It was actually localized, but it was localized in a populated center. Yeah, like in the heart of the downtown. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In um in the immediate aftermath of the explosion, the local hospital declared a code orange in anticipation of what would surely be a high number of casualties. But no seriously injured patients arrived. One Canadian Red Cross volunteer said there were, quote, no wounded. They're all dead, end quote. So either you made it out and you were fine or you didn't. I mean, we got to experience that on 9-11. Like, mm. the people that, the hospitals, same thing. They were waiting and, and they were just like, we were just treating people with cuts and bruises. Yeah, like either you were dead or you had very minor yep. stuff. Apparently, this is like either you were dead or you didn't or even need just, treatment. Nope. Aside from mental health services. Uh, yeah, I yeah. <sighs> um, Fuck. Initially, around 150 firefighters responded to the scene, including many from Maine, sure. and eventually, over a thousand emergency responders responders worked in crews of 150 around the clock to contain the fire and Absolutely. evacuate residents and contain the scene and mm-hmm. like get oh there get everything figure shit out like yeah. the logistics of this yeah it's not like um it's not like somebody's shooting up a school and the people who are paid to you know if that's happening the people who are paid to uh, go in and deal with that mm-hmm. it's not like they you know firefighters just don't stand outside of a fire yeah. for like an hour and a half and be like Man, that's a little too dangerous to go into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that excuse for some reason works for police. Yeah. Well, that's like the the tweet where um, someone was like, oh, you'd rather that 19 cops had died instead of the children? Yes. Yeah. Yes, literally. Compared to the children. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. That, that's because that's, that's literally their, correct. Because at <laughs> the end of the fucking job, <laughs> at the end of the day, that's what they signed up for. Yep. That's damn straight. You already yep. lived your life. You became a professional. Even if mm-hmm. you're like 23 or 24, you're talking about 10-year-old kids who didn't get to do really anything. I, I hope all of the people who are too chicken shit to do their fucking job live with that guilt every day from now on. Yep. The only thing that could possibly redeem them even a fraction is if they become instant gun control advocates. Yeah. And but apologize not, and support every family that they helped destroy. Yeah. Now to a more um, fun story. Yeah, right. That was a nice, <laughs> a nice diversion, which is horrible. Uh, so it took until the early afternoon of July sixth for the fire to be contained, and it took two full days for the fire to be completely extinguished. I'm sure. And there, this and is you're crude oil burning. Also, you have water running constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're constantly spraying down buildings that aren't affected because of the... To contain it, to keep it in... Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, to you're, keep it from spreading. You're pretty much losing all of those buildings. So... Oh, yeah. To keep it from... Over 30 buildings were just gone yeah. downtown. I mean, yeah. it's... Mm-hmm. 
But, all but even on this fucking r- ridiculous scale, mm-hmm. like James has told me about this type of training that they mm-hmm. do, because a lot of, um, uh, what's the fuel? Um, they have a lot of nitrogen tankers that oh. go through that area from the military mm-hmm. base for like jet mm-hmm. fuel and stuff mm-hmm. like that. He was like, so if one of those things goes, you know, hits the ground, that shit goes, he's like, we train for that. Well, they're just lucky in Arizona that there's not a whole bunch of, uh, um, forest, but there are wildfires in Arizona, <laughs> so right they have are. to be very careful. About yeah, that. but he's like, we train for all sorts like, mm-hmm. things you wouldn't necessarily think of, right? But Not off the bat, has mm-hmm. to be done. And these guys just rolled in, like this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna it's gonna take a couple of days. We'll get it. It's yeah. not gonna be it's not gonna be pretty in the meantime, but not for nothing. But when people are like, oh, cops and firefighters put their lives on the line. Well, apparently, no, no, firefighters, no. firefighters put, put their, their lives, lives on the line. line. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Because that's what they signed up for, and they do their fucking job. And they actually do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. All five locomotives were found half a mile intact down the line. Uh, most of the oil that's cars crazy. were damaged beyond of course. repair, obviously. Mm-hmm. 42 bodies were recovered and taken to Quebec for identification. Eventually, 40 would be identified, though it would take almost a year. To fully identify them. They had to do DNA testing in some cases. Five people were never found, so they were just presumed dead. The Sûreté du Québec, which is the Quebec Provincial Police, okay. uh, coroner in charge of autopsies, attributed this to victims most likely being vaporized yeah. in the explosion, stating that all the deceased had died violent and avoidable deaths. Mm-hmm. Remember the kids that I talked about earlier? Yes. Yeah. The youngest mm, of the victims God. were nine-year-old Bianca and four-year-old. It says Alyssa, but I may have. Is that, was that her name? I want to get that right. Uh, yep, Alyssa. Um, uh, they were asleep in their father Pascal's apartment directly next to the tracks along with their mother, Talitha. Pascal Charest had been out at the time of the explosion. Oh, my God. It happened, and he, like, ran frantically back home, screaming for his girls, and his whole family was gone. Well, I mean, his whole... His life was gone. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Unfortunately, the blaze had engulfed everything in its path, and he was only able to stand back and watch in horror. In all, 21 children lost at least one parent in the fire, and four were completely orphaned. Yeah. Because people were, like... Yeah out with mm-hmm. their partners and family and friends. Downtown Lac Megantic was just destroyed. Over 30 buildings had been completely demolished, including multiple businesses, the town library, many houses, Moosey Cafe, gone. Uh, three employees were among the dead mm. or presumed dead. And here is, <sighs> yeah, this is the, the fire. My God. It looks like a bombing is what it looks like. And especially when you look at this, the aftermath. Yeah, the my God. Mm -hmm. And you can see almost like a tornado leaves a path. You can see where it spread or where it started and like fanned out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That is is fucking tragic. It is. It's horrible. And this is a little provincial town in like Pretty little southern Canada, southern Quebec, you know. 
a place that, that was gorgeous. Yeah. I, I, I uh, hope we get to... Yes, we're going rebuilding. to in a, in a minute. Yeah. The land and waterways in the area were contaminated, and the disaster itself was so toxic that investigators and firefighters had to work in 15-minute shifts just because oh of God, exposure sure. for the first month of the cleanup due to the presence of benzene, a petrochemical component mm-hmm. of crude oil. So, obviously, this was all investigated. The Transportation Safety Board of Canada, the TSB, sent 20 experts to Lac-Megantic to begin gathering evidence and witness statements, and they released their report in August of 2014. And they found what we had discussed. The air brakes were turned off after the fire in the locomotive. There wasn't enough hand brakes engaged to stop the train without the air brakes. And that's what happened. But why had this locomotive caught fire? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it was discovered that in October of 2012, eight months before the derailment, the lead locomotive, the the one that had been spewing the smoke, um, had been sent for repairs after an engine failure. Unsurprisingly, considering MMA's cost-cutting approach to safety, there was pressure to get the engine turned back around, right? Get get back on back in service. So instead of using the correct quality materials, an epoxy-like material was used for the repairs that didn't have nearly the strength or durability it needed. The material degraded quickly. Yeah. That's what led to the black smoke. Save, but it saved money. Right. That's what led to the black smoke that Tom Harding had witnessed spewing from the smokestack and called the home office about. That black smoke wound up being an indication of oil accumulated within the engine where it subsequently overheated and mm-hmm. caught fire. So, Piss poor, shitty maintenance. Yeah, is what happened. On top there. of a piss poor, shitty like investigation on site, like because mm. they were like, all right, the fire's right, out, like the, yeah, good to go, like and, everything's and fine. At no point did again the the office should have been like, hey Tom, this happened. You got to come back. And... Well, he would have been like, well, holy shit, yeah. I tested this thing with the air brakes. Yeah. That's not gonna be a thing anymore. Yeah. Start engaging those hand brakes, and I'm gonna be back. Did they ever keep... get in touch with him at any time? No. Between... Oh, that's no. see, I mean, Jesus Christ. And and but, I wish if... I I did miss out on like seeing if there was his side of the story out there, meaning like what happened after right. for him. Uh, uh, yeah, because because he I was think driving. We all, I think we all know what's gonna fucking happen to this poor well, bastard. Well. Um, So the TSB also uncovered the horrific safety culture, or lack thereof, of MMA. Safety culture. Yeah. They they called out the company's lack of fail-safe processes, their poor oversight, their ineffective risk management. Unsurprisingly, given the terrible series of choices he constantly made, Edward Burkhart, who we mentioned before, the CEO of Railworld, which was the majority shareholder Mm -hmm. in MMA... Was like, oh, you know what would be a great idea? Let me visit downtown Lac Megantic four days after this disaster. Uh, he was heckled by residents, rightly. He's lucky he didn't get the shit beat out of him. At the fucking very least. Yes. Uh-huh. I mean. Or fucking killed. If I it hope was he America, didn't... he may have been shot on sight. Who knows? I mean, I'm sure he was rolling in there with his own security maybe oh, yeah, probably yeah there's this, no this way he was bitch, yeah you know? there's no way he was just walking down the street mm-hmm. by himself because mm-hmm. he definitely would have in that circumstance he's also fucking old as shit like they all are so as if the loss of life and the environmental impact on lack megantic wasn't bad enough the wheels of flagrant and predatory capitalism kept turning that's i have to give credit to cat for this next section she did a good job with I, lo- I love flagrant and predatory capitalism because yep. that's fucking exactly, that's exactly what, it is. what it is it's completely brazen out yeah. in the open right there like this didn't have to happen yep 
Yep. Completely preventable. This is a really shitty part of the story. So in a strip mall office in South Texas, a man named Willie Garcia was getting ready to pounce on the vulnerable victims and their family, uh, families. An infamous ambulance chaser and human cesspool, Garcia specialized in case running, which refers to victims of tragedies to law firms for a fee, which he happily, happily pocketed. So he, he would contact the victims refer them to law firms, and get, and get a, a referral fee. Yes, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Uh, while this practice had been outlawed in Texas, there was nothing stopping him from taking his business to Quebec. Mm. Lawyers and agents began to show up in the days following the disaster mm-hmm. to pressure grieving families to sign up to fight for compensation with Garcia behind the scenes pulling the strings. This is so gross. Jeanette Cameron, who lost her daughter in the disaster and was approached by one of these predatory agents, said, quote, someone came to me and said, do you want this to happen to another mother like you? He repeated this to me a few times. They kept pushing for us to join the fight right away. And I just felt it made no sense. Why the urgency for some cash? End quote. Which is good that she, like, was able to sort of stop it. But can you imagine just be how fucked up in the head you are after something like this? Yeah, you're, you're and fucking, someone's like... brain is going in And someone's like, directions. if you don't take action now, this could happen to somebody else. And you don't want to be responsible for that's the easy way to get to somebody. Yeah. It's, like, it's do you so want, do you, gross. Do you want another mother to go through this? Mm-hmm. Do you? Because they're making the bad guy out of the victim. It's horrible. It's It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. In the end, Garcia and his firm came away with between 10 and $15 million in referral fees taken from the victim's indemnization fund. One victim said, quote, we suspected that someone was profiting from us, but we were told so often that we were lucky to have gotten any money, we didn't dare protest, end quote. That's just so shitty that they did That's that. That's just, it's fucking gross. Oh my goodness. Which one of you is doing that? It's for the bathroom, I bet. Yeah, it is, Matrius. Oh my goodness, we're almost done. Can you not just let us record in peace? You're like Willie Garcia. Except you're much cuter. <laughs> They're both kind of freaked out by that thing. They the are face. by the door stuck yeah. or the door sweep, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm glad everybody likes the sound of the cats because we can just keep this all in because we'll be go. too lazy to edit. Okay. As for criminal charges, MMA was charged with 47 separate counts of criminal negligence for each of the deaths. Uh, again, like the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. You know. Tom Harding, along with two operations employees, were arrested on the same charges. No charges were brought against Edward Burkhart. A fact that the United Steelworkers Union of Quebec took great exception to. They're like, why did you charge the fucking laborers, but not the The person person causing it? Who's responsible for this, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. ultimately. The three workers went to a jury trial in late 2017. The prosecution brought 36 witnesses. The defense provided none. After nine days of deliberation, the jury acquitted all three of them. Good. So they, I I think I mean, so too. I there's... think the company was the one at fault. Yes, not the workers. No, like the, because even if, well, it's the same. He thing. He didn't know the air brakes were gonna fail. Like correct, and nobody told him. Like, like hey, hey, don't. There leave was it. There, there yeah. was a fire, mm-hmm. and then this happened. Mm-hmm. We had to turn this off mm-hmm. because he would want to do his own right sweep mm-hmm. after that. I would. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. he, mm-hmm. to me, up to this point, up to this point, Everybody his whole career said that he's uh, is a pro- and a uh-huh. professional. Yes, uh-huh. and he would be like, "Well, SOP for that, that would just go off in his right. brain." Mm-hmm. 
is I have to go through the train cars, make sure that mm-hmm. this is that way and that's this way. And, and I did see one one account that said that the cab driver said that he was talking about the smoke, being like, yeah, I'm a little worried about that, even though they told me not to worry about it. Yeah. And they didn't tell so, him... A... No. So he has... Well, I mean, it's again, it's like obviously he wakes up to, oh, shit, something seriously fucking wrong. Like either Mm -hmm. we're getting bombed or that's my train. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because he did see the smoke. So he knew he knew in his own mind. He probably put two and two together pretty quick. Yeah. But I know it's it's again, it's like the don't blame the workers, blame the system and that. The capital holders, right? His boss said, Mm -hmm. go to your hotel and Mm -hmm. go to bed. Like, it'll be fine. It's fine. You told us we'll deal with it. He said, we'll deal with it in the morning. Mm -hmm. That's what he said. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A class action lawsuit was brought on behalf of victim's family, spearheaded by Moosey Cafe owner Yannick Gagne. He he survived. He he did Mm -hmm. not die. A $200 million settlement was reached in 2015. I would have gone for a billion, but right. two hundred millions that's that's well, yeah, the good thing is gonna... that MMA filed for bankruptcy mm-hmm. one month after the accident. Its assets were auctioned off in early twenty fourteen. It has not been in in function since good, yes, mm-hmm. holy shit. like yeah, at I, least I, again, that happened right again, now you know the the story mm-hmm. didn't happen in the mm-hmm. United States. Mm-hmm. It took an estimated five years to clean up the environmental contamination caused by the derailment, with some residents unable to return to their homes for at least a year. Mm-hmm. And there, I'm sure there are, I, I hope, there are still people there doing ground surveys, things like that. Monitoring yep. after, yeah. Um, so it's been almost nine years since the disaster, and the downtown, including Moosey Cafe, has been rebuilt. So here oh, okay. is some... Um, that's Moosey Cafe, and that's the downtown. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So it's been rebuilt. I mean, it devastated some businesses. They of course. Were, they had to shut down, and you know. Um, but it. I mean. Wow. They the people of the town did what they had to do, which was figure out how to continue rebuild and move yeah. on. But the thing is, in a town that small, nobody. Was unaffected. Of course, yeah. Not I mean, a single person. Probably not even a. Probably not even people in the overall area. Right. Yeah. Like the surrounding. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm, absolutely. I'm sure everybody knew somebody there. They yeah. probably went there because mm-hmm. it's a. It's a small town, but it's big enough where it's got a bar, mm-hmm. restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, grocery store, mm-hmm. things like that. So if you're in a, because there's there's all sorts of tiny towns in Canada mm-hmm. of like a thousand people. Mm-hmm. That's probably yeah. where they would go to. Right. That was the big town yeah. <laughs> nearby. Yeah. That was the, the city kids. <laughs> yes. The city slickers and <laughs> yes. black magantic. In certain people's minds when we were growing up. Messina, Messina was the big we, we, were, we were the I city know. kids. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> you, you city kids. What was the population Messina. of Messina when you were growing up? Uh, like thirteen to fourteen thousand, oh, something so, like hey, that. Hey, you were double the size yeah. of Black Magenta. By the time I graduated, when I was uh-huh. younger, it was I think it was like fifteen, maybe. Okay. But we lost a lot of people from the factories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. So as of today, Black Magenta has implemented new restrictions for rail transport within their town, including 
prohibition of dangerous cargo no parking yeah. no parking trains <laughs> yeah within on 4 kilometers or 2.4 miles of downtown. also on the top of a hill <laughs> right? like i mean right away it's just like uh mm-hmm. just in case gravity decides to take over yep and a speed restriction of no more than 16 kilometers per hour or 10 miles per hour sure citizens were petitioning for the tracks to be rerouted away from the downtown core entirely for years and this Year, 2022, nine years later, the federal government of Canada is finally expected to start building a bypass to completely remove the the tracks from downtown Lackagandic. Because can you imagine the trauma of like seeing those fucking tracks every day? And and hearing hearing trains. Yes. Every day. That alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like from then on the rest of your life you come to a railroad crossing it's like a fucking flashback yeah and you'd be in a like a perpetual state of shock yes yes absolute like ptsd constantly well one of the so now i'm watching like like medicine in world war Mm one like i've i've gone to that level of detail trying to fucking understand (laughs) shit gotcha and for mental health World War mm-hmm. One was like a big turning point for mental That's health. That's they identified shell shock, right? Yes, mm-hmm. because these guys would literally get shelled from yeah. these all day mm-hmm. for like three days straight, and of mm-hmm. course you're gonna lose your fucking mind. Yeah. Some people will. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and so, even those who don't will be horribly affected. <laughs> of course, and they'll pass yeah. it on to the people they know, and yep. it's not like everybody wasn't going through it anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, that's when mental health. Like worldwide, kind of started At start least to take a turn. Like aware. Yes, uh-huh. like these people were fine before people were firing guns at them for three days straight. And then suddenly they weren't okay. And then anymore. suddenly, Why is that? <laughs> and then suddenly they were all fucked up. Yeah. Uh huh. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we should learn from this. Right. You know. So the town of Lac-Megantic inaugurated a memorial at the scene of the explosion, which Mayor Julie Moran declared as a gathering place and anchor for the community. The memorial includes 48 unique sculptures Mm. installed throughout the town, 47 for the victims who died in the explosion, and a 48th for a young firefighter who died by suicide soon Uh, after the rescue efforts. So just just couldn't deal with it, which is understandable because that's a really hard thing to have to deal with. No trains were permitted to run through town on July 6th, a sign of respect for the residents, which will hopefully be renewed in perpetuity. And then hopefully we'll just never happen again because they'll just completely remove the rails altogether from downtown. And that, my friends, is part two of the horrible story of the Lac-Megantic rail disaster. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so all over the world, like like especially like Europe, and we want the same thing here, like we, we want rail systems. Mm-hmm. But imagine being a place that we don't want them anymore because it's just, it's just fucking with our minds too much. Like for right, a whole right. for a whole, whole area town. to feel mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. rightfully so. Yes. Mm-hmm. And just being like, you know, the get rid of this thing. We don't yeah. want to see it. We don't want to remind remember it. Like, well, we don't want to remember that part of it. We'll remember our loved ones, but we don't want to. Rem- we don't want to be daily have the cause of. Yeah. I mean, it's like. It's like if somebody killed a loved one and then you had to see them yeah. every day. That's bullshit. It's like know? if some maniac like shot up your school and then <laughs> and then a month later like you returned yeah. to class. Like how the fuck could you ever go back yeah. to that school? Yeah. Or any school. Frankly. Correct. Or any building. Yeah. You know? I mean it's. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, we're, we're, I'm not trying to be Amerocentric again. I'm just, right. you know, giving up a... I mean... And, like, bullshit like this happens in, you know, in America all the time. Oh, yes. And usually the company, like, gets... An angel investor comes in or something, or they get, you know... A... I'm glad this fucking company went under. Yeah. And I hope Edward Burkhart is old. Well, he is old, and that yes. he just fucking dies soon <laughs> and slowly yeah it'd be nice if he didn't just pass in his sleep yeah you know? like if if it took a little bit you know i that'd make me feel better i know it's really it's it's probably <laughs> really really incendiary to say well i hope he dies but but to he be will. fair yes. yes yes we all will yes, right he will i will you will uh, yes that's everybody correct. listening will that's correct but truly the world is better off with some without oh, with, some without people. certain people mm-hmm. yeah and I think he's one of those people. Yeah. Well, frankly, any capitalist, like I'll be, anybody, I'll be, I'll be woohoo when fucking Musk dies, Bezos. Anybody on the Forbes five hundred, it's probably like we'd. Oh yeah. Like everything would be better mm-hmm. without all five hundred of you. If we just, and I'm talking about of like out of like six billion people. Like yes. If, uh-huh. if we just oh, eight removed, billion. we're almost to eight billion. If now. we just removed mm-hmm. you five hundred, mm-hmm. like uh, 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 a. A thousandth of a thousandth right. of a millionth of a tenth of a thousandth of a millionth of a zillionth Percent, yeah. of the world population. Like, uh-huh. everything would just be better. Yeah. Like, well, mostly, like I, no, but then there would be the next 500 that would be like... Right, who will step up. Who will take advantage of... <laughs> well, like I say, there is no such thing as a moral billionaire, period. Of course not. I actually struggle with the, the idea of an ethical multi-millionaire. It myself. depends. It's mm. a for me. That's a for me. That's a bit of a case by case basis. As long as you don't completely Facts and circumstances. Correct. As long as you don't completely lose your fucking mind. You See, know? I don't think that's possible with that amount of money. It's it's hard. I'm sure it's hard not to. You just it just turns people into these monsters. Yeah. These they're monsters. They're monsters. Because the only way you could get to that amount of money is if you have a certain. Well, if you're okay watching the suffering of billions of people to preserve your own wealth. Yeah. And that's what people do. And it's it's hideous. So, anyway. (laughs) Speaking of a train derailment. Yes, we've kind of gone off the rails a little. Uh, So, my nephew, I think we mentioned this in the... That he came down? No, that in the first episode that he's going to school, like, not too far from where this uh happened. So... Mm -hmm. Hopefully we'll get a chance to go up and see him, and if yeah. we do, we'll... go to Lac Megantic. Yeah, we go to Moosey Cafe. Absolutely. Give him some business, you yes. know, and um, and not mention at all. No, that we've... no, no, no. <laughs> and not gawk, and not be there yeah. to gawk, but to be there because it's apparently a gorgeous place. All the pictures look beautiful. It looks like a gorgeous place. It I'd looks, love it, to it, visit the Eastern Township. They look very, beautiful. I mean, like I said, it looks very similar to where I grew up. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm still impressed Mas- by like because Messina is a gorgeous place. <laughs> well, I'm sure parts of it are at times. Yeah, parts of it. I I I still am impressed by like autumn leaves because palm trees don't do no, that. They don't. That's true. They don't. <laughs> so I I do like you know the the color foliage. changes. The yeah. fall would be really nice. That's why it's, I'm thinking maybe like Labor Day we can. Is that still too early for the fall colors? It is, and that's when it starts to get cold at night. But, yeah, we'll figure something out. Yeah, maybe Columbus Day. Yeah, well, we, let's yeah, not discuss let's not our it, um, vacation yeah, plans on, on our podcast. <laughs> uh, but, but, so, that, but the, uh, I mean, 
Thank you to everybody who suggested this yes. because this is horrific. <laughs> that sounded terrible, but that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, the, the um, like I already had it in my mind, like mm-hmm. what it was going to look like, like yeah. the theater of mine. And I had had in mind, like there's going to be explosions, there's going to be fires because we're talking about oil. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be just fucking chaos, just absolute mm-hmm. chaos for probably days on end. Uh, you know? Years on end because yeah. it it contaminated the area. That's true too. For yeah. Years. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it. I mean, I. I'm sure if I watched some of those videos, it would probably look like somebody's filming like a, a 200 million dollar movie here. It does. It and, looks and like special the, effects. Yeah. It really does. And this is just the yes. Yeah. It looks. It looks what like else, explosions. What else would you yeah. think? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. your brain wouldn't go to. Your brain would go to either that or we're at war. Mm-hmm. Like, one of those two things. Well, and just the disconnect. Because do you remember when, um, well, of course you do, but like a year-ish ago or maybe longer, I don't remember, with when the backdoor neighbor's mm-hmm. house, house caught, caught on fire. fire. Mm-hmm. And like, initially I was like, wait, wh- wait, what? And, and you were like, oh, it's like a bonfire or something, right? I'm sure it's okay. There's that instant, like, explaining away mm-hmm. of that stuff, because it's just like, wait, that that's not something we see. So it's not a thing that happens. Well, imagine now you're looking at just, like, what appears to be just Hollywood, like you said, Hollywood-type yeah. explosions happening, and you're just like, okay, we can't explain this away, but what, what the, the f- well, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you'd just be, I can see being kind of frozen in that moment, just to be like, what do you even do? Like, this is, like, this is only training you would receive, and you probably don't even receive this level, or in some cases you might, who knows, Mm -hmm. but this is, like, only training you would receive in the military, like, Mm -hmm. like how to deal with being firebombed. Well, and you know, those and, firefighters and how to and how to move around and, and those the, firefighters had to deal with yes. like warlike conditions. Mm-hmm. No wonder the poor one firefighter like just couldn't yeah. deal. And they also, but and they, I mean, they also did exactly what they had to do. They yeah. secured the scene. Yeah, well, of course and it was going to take constantly. Yeah. Of course it was going to take days, and I'm sure they noticed right away. Like, hey, it's leaking into this and that. Like, we can't do that. We're gonna do. The things that we can do, make sure the people that know, mm-hmm. who deal with the groundwater and stuff like mm-hmm. that, know that it's mm-hmm. well. And I that, think that it's, manholes are fucking popping right? out of the fucking street. I think it's pretty telling that there weren't deaths after. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from that poor firefighter, yeah. there there weren't like they clearly did a good job at emergency management mm-hmm. because it didn't spread to a point Mm-mm. where it was now like killing other people. Um they prevented clearly further explosions like down the line yep. and stuff. Yeah, so they they, con- <laughs> they contained the area. Right, and all I'm thinking of is oh, it's a good thing they didn't have FEMA. Yeah. <laughs> they just had like competent people on the ground. Yeah. Cuz it's Canada. So <laughs> yes. they, they they actually they don't did have, have US firefighters i'm sure participate. Yes. but again it's not about the individuals those are actually the competent ones who yes. know how to do the work it's <laughs> the system that's the broken thing yeah. right but they came together and did the thing that they needed to do yeah, and secured I, it yeah. and this this was and i'm not surprised of the containment and how great of a job they did because mm-hmm. when something like this happens it's all hands on deck mm-hmm. and it's you know when it comes to fires, for sure, 
the pros are coming in to, to deal with the situation, you know, and that's why mm-hmm. the firefighters were coming from Maine too, because they're right. like, mm-hmm. you know, and they might have some, they might go vacation there. Like who knows? They, they, you know. Well, and the other interesting thing, and again, I was going to say not to shit on police, but I'm sorry. I'm going to shit on police completely. Go right ahead. When there's a fire or like emergency services and stuff, people from all over who know how to do that descend on these yeah. places. And even normal people. Just... When there's a crime emergency, yeah. do you see like, oh, yeah, we're going to join in and let's help these guys. No, they get dragged in. For that shit. And maybe I'm talking on my ass. I really don't know how that stuff works. But I just feel like there's way more like, yes, we're going to we're gonna fight this fire together and we're going to save people. We're going to help people. As opposed to the fucking cops. Mm-hmm. Who are at an all-time low in terms of like public favor as well, I mean, they should be. I mean, it's clear now that they're only in it for themselves. And then you have people going around being like, you know, it's not... Uh, like saying stuff like legally they don't have to protect people i'm like is that really the argument you're gonna make (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's the argument yeah yeah okay so then we should give them zero amount of money that's right because funding because if the bulletproof vests Mm -hmm. and the fucking sniper rifles Mm -hmm. and the kevlar helmets and Mm -hmm. all the other fucking shit that we've militarized them on purpose for Mm -hmm. because of 9-11 if they're still scared with all that shit mm-hmm. while we know that actual parents with no mm-hmm. body armor equipment training or anything we're doing a hell of actually a lot got more. in mm-hmm. some of them got in and got out kids mm-hmm. so yeah like fucking send civilians there i would have run in and well i say that I, like right. nobody, nobody knows, knows how you're gonna react but you know a lot of people would and a lot of people did apparently like I mean, if if one, All of I know, our, if one of our if our niece or one of our nephews was in there, holy I shit! I wouldn't have needed. Yeah, I wouldn't have needed any protection whatsoever. I I'd say just gone in and got yeah, it'd be like fuck yeah. off. We'll figure it out. Yeah, but um, if I was wearing a Kevlar helmet, like mm-hmm. a bulletproof vest, uh, I had all sorts of fucking like I'd be feeling pretty confident and be like, yeah, we're gonna go in and and stomp this thing out. We're gonna go just shoot the fucker. Just um, go shoot the fucker. And then you had the one cop being like, well, they could have been shot at and they could have been killed. Like, Oh, my God. It's like, yeah. that yeah. It's your fucking job. Yeah. Do your fucking job or, or what is the bloody point? There wasn't another recent gun tragedy in America at all recently. No. Again. No. Today. A couple days ago. Today. One today happened somewhere. There's one every day. Statistically. At least one. <laughs> yes, there is. That's the baseline. So basically what we're saying, if you're a cop and listening to this, it's not too late to switch careers. Yeah. Like, do it's something okay. else. You can do other shit. There, I'm sure there are tons of people who went into that line of work thinking they were going to make a difference. The answer is you're not. And not in the States anyway. And it's not, and it's not, and here's the other thing. It's not your fault. It's not on you. Mm-hmm. I'm not blaming individual cops Mm-mm. here. Unless, well, this instance, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. But on top it's of that. It's a system. Yes. It's a corrupt system always that has, cannot be saved. Always has been. <laughs> yes. It's never uh-huh. not been. Mm-hmm. You can help people in so many ways that don't involve what you do now. Switch to being a firefighter. That's fabulous. An EMS tech. Like, you can yeah. do it. You're competent. You don't competent. see EMS techs showing up to a scene being like, Wow, they can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Somebody else should do something. Because I might get, I might injure <laughs> yeah. my wrists. I might, CPR. I might catch a cold again yes. because I or gave COVID. them. Or COVID. Yeah. You know, 
I'm not allowed to. I can't. I can't catch COVID because yeah, I've never heard like an EMT or whoever speaks for the EMTs say anything even yeah. close to that. Never. Like they don't. Okay. Well, that's our rant for now. <laughs> don't worry, the there one. will be more. Yes, there will. <laughs> per use. But um, that thank you, Kat and Donovan, for your again. Excellent thank you work. very much. And uh, this is so sad. <laughs> we, we love all our guest stri- scripts, don't we, folks? Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. We have many more to get to, too. So, <sighs> so that's it. See us out. <laughs> okay. So that was the Lagomagantic Rail Disaster mm-hmm. Part 2. I'm sorry? The what now? Lagomagantic. Lagomagantic. Oh, I'm. I say lacamagante. Yeah, whatever. Like that's as a spicy meat of all. That's right. Lacamagante. <laughs> that was lacamagante. Yes, sorry. Rail disaster part two. Yes. Long train run. Yeah. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>